We go to Wellington now to talk to Colin Peacock for Midweek Media Watch. Hi, Colin. Hi, Karen. Okay, I don't even have to ask what you're talking about tonight. Well, yeah, we won't do too much if you don't want to, but yeah, it, it has been kind of overwhelming. There will be people out there that think, uh, okay, I've, I've had enough of the politics because it, it's kind of peaked and people might want a, a few hours off. But uh, we will be having a look at it in Media Watch next weekend uh, because, you know, what a change a leader makes and how it changes that the media focus is kind of interesting. Um, but I thought, you know, just in terms of the intensity of it and the coverage, it has been fascinating. And I guess we've seen a few leadership uh, challenges, leaders under pressure and become familiar with that thing of reporters uh, doorstopping um MPs at the airport and outside Parliament. But I think this week it went to a, a whole new level uh, with National Party MPs flying into Wellington to pick a new leader, having just got the news that morning that uh, their leader, Todd Muller, had uh, stepped down. And uh, I just oh, there was one moment that, that cracked me up, was um, Tover O'Brien's report on News Hub at 6, where as she was speaking, they put up a kind of mosaic, uh, like a, almost like a massive Zoom meeting of all the MPs that they talked to at Parliament. And then before your eyes, it, it doubled and split into two till you could barely make them out. Just this huge grid of MPs all pictured at the airport, desperately trying to avoid uh, the reporters and get away from them. Um, and it does make me wonder how much they hope to get or genuinely think they'll get from pursuing um, MPs at the airport. Uh, because they're so determined, and in this case, the uh, in their morning um, caucus call, before they all hit the airports to, to get to Wellington, they decided en masse they weren't going to say anything, there'll be no comment till after their caucus meeting. But one funny moment that did crack me up was when um, Judith Collins, having been pursued by Topher O'Brien at, at uh, Auckland Airport for several minutes, then arrived at Wellington, got out of her cab at Parliament and was then set upon by reporters again. And one of them asked her um, how she reacted when she heard Todd Muller was quitting. Oh, I might have said a rude word. Which word? Oh, quite a big one. There we go. <laughs> what was the news that caught Um <laughs> Yes. So, Does she mean big, long, or uh, or just... Who knows what that rude word was, but they wanted to know. Um, it was one of the few sort of semi-unscripted moments. But it reminded me of a bit of... Um, do you remember the last British election campaign and Theresa May was asked a question she wasn't prepared for? What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? And she said, oh, gosh, oh, golly, um, I think I once ran through a field of wheat, you know, trampling the wheat stalks. <laughs> and, you know, seriously, that's... Uh, she's... Um, She's she's clearly projecting this um the softer image, but now as for that, she she then went on to say, as she said there, you know, what's the mood in caucus? Don't know. We haven't had our meeting yet. Everyone was determined not to say anything, and I suppose you never know what you're going to get. There would have been people watching television thinking, why on earth are so many reporters spending so much time? pursuing these politicians in the airports on the departure and the arrival and at Parliament when they're clearly not going to say anything. I guess they're looking for <clears throat> scenes like, um, well, deme just general demeanour when anyone's looking particularly stressed out uh, and, and Nikki Kay, for one, appeared to and some of the media made something of that. I guess you're looking for anyone who looks like they might have been conspiring together or meeting together, and I think when... If memory serves right, when Todd Muller's uh, crew rolled Simon Bridges, they tricked the reporters by hiring a meeting room at Wellington Airport. So when they were waiting for them to emerge, they were in fact meeting and plotting outside their gaze. So I guess there's some reason. You never know quite what you're going to get. But all through the day, with the caucus meeting at seven that night, uh, it seemed that it was largely futile, the, um, the media 
pursuing um, all these journalists like that. And I wondered if we could one day arrange a kind of job swap and turn them into, um, you know, natural history uh, camera crews and they could pursue animals, you know, pursue the polar bear. You know, what do you think about the melting of the Arctic ice? You know, was it this bad last time you migrated back? <laughs> you know, it would, it would be interesting to know because it, it just seems futile, but, they, you know, they, they stick with it. <laughs> Good. And, of course, uh, there's been a lot written yeah, heaps and heaps written, and um, with the the persistent questioning about it, um, with with that meeting being imminent, they were, you know, you're wondering during the day whether anyone was going to be able to get any kind of line on what was going to happen. And actually, um, when you come to the persistence, I mean, you can't fault News Hub because they stayed on air for hours uh, deciding that um, this national leadership spill was something people might really want to follow. Um, in News Hub at 6, in their main 6pm bulletin, um, Tover O'Brien was still uh, trying to get a hint and a steer from uh, the leadership uh, contenders. So even after they went into the caucus room um, before the meeting, um, during uh, so before, a bit before 7, about quarter 2, uh, Tover O'Brien said this. I've done a quick ring around of all of those six leadership contenders, Nikki Kay, Amy Adams, Simon Bridges, Paula Bennett, Judith Collins, Mark Mitchell. Unsurprisingly, none of them answered their phone, except for Nikki Kay, who accidentally answered and swiftly, when she realised what she'd done, hung up on me. None of them are saying anything, but Paula Bennett was spoken to one of our reporters who's out on the scene outside of Parliament at airports, so just spoken to her again, and Paula Bennett isn't either ruling out a tilt at the leadership nor resigning from politics. And we've also spoken to Amy Adams for the first time today. She's not making any comment, and she's not ruling out a tilt at the leadership either. Mm, interesting. She's got all their phone numbers. Yeah, I know, but that was 33 seconds, and there was <laughs> a lot in it. Um, I mean, it's interesting, eh, because you know, she called them all, that funny thing with um, Amy Adams taking the call and then realising she shouldn't have... Um, Nikki Kay? Oh, sorry, Nikki Kay, beg your pardon. But where... I mean, that, that was the third cross she did during that 6pm bulletin, uh, when in effect nothing actually changed. She was saying, this is all about to happen at 7. Uh, they put the blue screen up in front of the door. I mean, it was, it was very compelling and made, gave you a real sense of urgency. But in all of that, there was still no sense of who was going to challenge, who was going to run, where the numbers lay, all of that. Uh, but yes, she's got that real gift of making it seem incredibly urgent. And absolutely, you cannot fault News Hub for committing to that. They At, at 7 o'clock, in fact, they said they were going to do a News Hub special at 7.30. So um, I wasn't listening to Mike McRoberts properly when he said that would be on the News Hub website. So I went on and turned turned on TV3 at 7.30, and it was the scene of all these blokes in their undies uh, grooming in front of a mirror. And I thought, that's not the National Caucus Room. And that was um, Big, oh, yes, Big Brother was. Australia. I uh, was actually <laughs> on it at 7.30. So well, then I realised ah, it'll be an online-only special. And they kept it going all the way through till uh, after 10 o'clock when uh, Judith Collins crammed uh, all their caucus together on that platform and gave that um, that slightly awkward press conference um, at the end. Uh, during it, uh, Mike McRoberts' laptop died. The battery ran out. His voice started to croak at one point. So they really were giving it everything. Um, but one thing that did worry me a little bit was um, the pundits. It's a pretty now familiar range of pundits they have on these programs. And of course, they cycle through them to keep them uh, on the air. Couldn't and, get Michelle Bogue this time. No, well, that's it. There well, are actually, didn't think, want Michelle Bogue this yeah, time. No Michelle Bogue, no Matthew Hooten either, because he's now part of what was Team Muller and I guess is now uh, Team Collins because she's keeping on, on the staff or so she says. 
Um, but they talked endlessly just uh, almost about one thing. It's just all about the personalities. This is someone who can take on Ardern, and she, she won't be afraid of it. And you've got the, the rough personality of Collins against the, you know, the kinder, gentler personality of Ardern. And I, I guess, obviously, this is a day when it's all about getting the position, getting the job. So political strategy and the numbers and all that is everything. Um, but there was no hint about what values or policies or what change it might bring. I guess that is for another day. But I think it is more than just, you know, two party leaders. It's almost obsessive focus on just the leaders and almost nothing else. Um, so I could have chosen a few examples of that, but I did pick one, and that's from uh, the online-only News Hub special. And this is... Um, PR person Josie Pagani, and she was talking about uh, the difference in the appeal of the candidates, Jacinda Ardern, and looking forward to the election up against um, Judith Collins. You kind of go, well, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, you know, who's going to be more fun at a party? Some people are going to think that. Some people are going to think, actually, this is game on. Uh, this is a real difference here. So all she has to do, because she's got that crusher thing really built in, she's tough, she's mean, uh, you know, she's the cat that plays with a nearly dead mouse, you know, all of that stuff. She's got all of that built in. All she has to do is kiss one baby and cuddle one puppy and they'll all go, my God, she's kind as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Mike McRoberts loved that, actually. He brought that up later. What a great image, you know, Darth Vader, uh, Luke Skywalker. But I was thinking more about the cat that plays with the nearly dead mouse. Yeah, well, in fact, um, a little earlier, um, who was it? Uh, one of the other pundits uh, described, oh, it was Trish Sherson, uh, described Judith Collins. What they need now is they need, I think she said, a rat with a golden tooth. <laughs> Meaning someone who's not afraid, who will absolutely front this, who will take the, you know, the 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 knocks and and the and the abuse and actually wear and the that the the stress of dealing with a dysfunctional party and absolutely wear it, um, and front it out. And it was, but you know, again, all about this character of you know this front of the leader and the personality, as if that's all that will uh, interest the so-called voters. You know, we're not voters all the time. We're citizens too and would like to know more things about our parties and who makes them up uh, than just the person right at the top. But I guess, you know, on the day of a leadership spill, uh, in a sense, that's fair enough. But yeah, this this very intense focus on political strategy is going to wear us out. And they're clearly very excited, the journalists, that they're going to have a Jacinda Ardern versus uh, Judith Collins contest and political debates leading up to the election. So, um, Personality is is much more fun to talk about than poli than policy, isn't it? Well, I suppose so. And I for mean, some, yes. And I mean, you look at what difference it made when Labour changed leadership before the last election, and you could see what impact that had. So it's real, and you can't pretend it isn't. But um, it isn't everything. Right. So can we change the subject now? Yes, please. <laughs> You've got five more minutes. Away okay. you go. Right, well, one thing, the Dominion Post on Monday uh, cracked me up a bit. It was a story about young professionals not wanting to live in the capital anymore because uh, the, the city's got problems and they were happier to go to Auckland, Sydney or Wellington if they could, although, um, you know, the flow of skilled workers with COVID and uh, international travel not being what it was, those uh, options are restricted. But yes, the appeal of Wellington, not so great for um, young professionals. And the opening line of the Dompo story was... Uh, we are meant to be the coolest little capital in the world. So why are so many young professionals saying they don't want to move to Wellington? Um, and this uh, was a question raised out of a report compiled for the City Council here in Wellington, where I'm speaking to you from, about the, the state of the city's private sector. Uh, 
But this is a bit of a problem because this whole thing of the coolest little capital comes from the rough, uh, sorry, the Lonely Planet guide, and it was all the way back in 2014, I think, that uh, that they decided one year that they would give Wellington that description. And that year, I remember, the city council actually put up little flags on the flag posts, uh, the, the lamp posts that said this, you know, coolest little capital. And for that to come up six years later, I mean, this is clearly part of the problem. So the report is all about it. When one councillor said, yeah, we've got to do something about this, maybe more events, we've got to promote the city more, everyone responded, who, who I read almost unanimously online anyway, saying, no, this is the problem. It's not to do with promotions and events. You've got to fix serious problems like the housing is really expensive, more expensive than Auckland. That's why a young professional wouldn't be coming. You can't buy or rent um, a house uh, cheaply. So you've got to forget about <laughs> these uh, fleeting um, endorsements by, you know, high-profile outfits like Lonely Planet or Washington Post or whatever and actually get over it and fix the real issues with the city. So it's kind of funny that uh, people had that response because I think only in Wellington would people ever remember that uh, six years ago they got this little tag of coolest little capital and milked it for all it was worth. Oh, it still is. Well, no, I'm I'm very fond of the place. I live here. It's all good. But um, back in 2015, I remember doing a story for Media Watch because – the council's economic development agency ran an ad campaign, you know, spent ratepayers' money on it to convince its own citizens with their own money that the BBC had endorsed Wellington as one of the hottest cities in the world. And we'd read it. It isn't, I mean, the BBC is not in the business of endorsing things quite like that. And it was actually misleading. But their desperation, I think, is something that holds them back. And one of the authors of this report is actually an urban design specialist who recently has actually been writing about the crisis facing Wellington and the hospitality sector where she'd been doing some work as a, um, as a professional and a consultant. So these are really urgent issues. And yes, Wellington has maybe more cafes than New York per capita, as they love to keep saying, but the real problems are the basics. It's rent, it's housing, it's burst water pipes and all that jazz. And that's interesting that having published the story in that way, you know, we're the coolest little capital still. Forget that. Deal with the problems. I thought that was quite a good bit of, um, you know, real world uh, correction by the audience. And can we just to finish? We've got a, a few minutes or a minute and a half. The list uh, of the top five on the weekends Herald because it's so good. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So we were. <laughs> yeah. um, this is last weekend on Media Watch. We were talking about clickbait with the stuff editor Mark Stevens because they've turned it turned away from. Facebook and clickbait, they're trying to foreground their journalism a bit more. But this is the Herald's top five as they publish in the Weekend Herald each week, their top five stories, I guess, of, of online engagement. And um, the, the the top one was Meghan Markle. The second one was about COVID-19 spreading around the world. The third was about elephants dying in, I think, Botswana with mystery disease. So uh, Susie Wiles getting social media abuse. And then a 13-year-old girl from Vietnam who's doing a double degree AUT. So a real mix of stories from the complete <laughs> clickbait of me. And Jeremy Reese of RNZ, you know, one of the editors, went on Twitter saying, how come there's nothing about the leaks, the politics, the isolation hotel people doing a runner, TY Point, you know, all of this stuff, what, how come? And then reaching the conclusion, maybe there's been so many stories on all those other things that these single remarkable stories, uh, probably more than one about Meghan Markle in a week, but the single ones, you know, split the difference and they go to the top of the list. Um, but Donna Chisholm, veteran journalist, pointed out that actually a lot of these predated a lot of those stories that Jeremy had said, but none of them are paywalled. So that's the thing, perhaps the higher quality the stuff's paywalled and the stuff Pips they put are coming up for free. Up, Colin. The pups have cut us off. I thank Sorry. you for no great to talk to you. Thanks very much. See ya.